if I have a NatWest mortgage uh, or a Alderbrook mortgage or whatever it is, you know, Aldermore mortgage, and it just says very clearly, very transparently, here's an interest-based loan and here's a charge. Now, other than for, from Zururia and the circumstances that apply, i.e. necessity, no scholar is going to say that that contract is Islamic. I've got to make my ROE this year. And if I don't, that CEO is in pressure for next year. Because it's not, it's not led by the purpose, it's led by the profit. So back in the late 2000s, we were deposit heavy, but we didn't have any asset products. We didn't have HPP at that time, or we were only just considering it. We had personal finance. When the Lehman Brothers problem happened and the kind of country crashed, yeah. um, what goes wrong first? Unsecured finance, right? Secondly, unfortunately, I think people felt, okay, it's the Islamic bank, it's the last people we need to pay. Assalamu alaikum everyone. With me, I have none other than the illustrious Sultan Jodri, the former CEO of Arayan Bank, formerly Islamic Bank of Britain. <laughs> and you are currently executive chairman at Offer, which is a sharing company, bridge financing company. Uh, Sama, which is a property developer and director there. Mm -hmm. You are uh, Islamic Bank of Australia. You're involved there. Yes, as in, a director. Yeah. As a director. And I don't know how you do it. I've, I've kind of lost <laughs> track now. NZF, you're involved as board. I'm the chairman. Chairman, chairman yeah. of NZF. Yeah. And then Wokfinity, yeah. Uh, yeah. which is Wokf project. That's more, again, chairing and guiding the team. Yeah. yeah. So NZF and Wokfinity, the, the, yeah. I guess, the, the charitable stuff. So, Sultan, it's a pleasure to have you. And we're going to get into uh, because you're you know this you know when we talk about hearing it from the horse's mouth, you are the horse <laughs> at this point, all right? And we want to hear about how Islamic banking got set up in the UK, how uh, how your journey went with Arayan and and everything. Um, but first, before we get into that, uh, I'd love to hear you know where, where did you grow up and what was yeah. your what was your relationship with money before we you know before you even got into your career. <laughs> Well, look, it's a pleasure to be here. You know, the IFG podcast is like famous, right? It's just the bee's knees, right? So, you know, I look forward to listening to it. And I like it nice, nice to be here. Um, it's a really good question. I always like talking about my childhood because it was, it's a relatively um, humble childhood. I grew up in inner city Birmingham, in small heath. Uh, before it was, uh, I, I guess, um, fully ethnic, it was a nice <laughs> mix. <laughs> Uh, you know, good, of, good, good save there. Of, of uh, you know, English, Asian, black, everybody, right? Was there, um, and now it's obviously much more um, ethnic. So we grew up in a, a very good multicultural society in a true in a true sense. Yeah, you know, it was it had uh, working class whites, mm. and I grew up with them. I respect, uh, you know, their their kind of honesty, their hard work. Um, but it was a it was a poor area. This dad had uh, come back to Britain um, to work in the factory, and so you know we did get a humble house, terrace house, uh, and then um, during the Thatcher years, when manufacturing was uh, kind of being decimated, yeah, uh, you know he lost his job, and so you know we had some uh, quite poor times in terms of uh, wealth. And then we, you know, dad was an entrepreneur, he opened businesses, and sometimes we had some good times, right? So it was, it was never particularly stable from a, um, an income perspective. And I think that stability was from mum. Mum 
didn't come with any qualifications from Bangladesh, but she quickly got a diploma uh, in community work, became a classroom assistant, you know, really self-educator, always educating herself, and that really gave her stability in some form for income. Uh, and I managed to uh, get into grammar school in another inner city area, Aston. Um, and uh, I guess, you know, I was a good student. And uh, from there onwards, uh, you know, I got into university, did my economics degree, which introduced me to Islamic finance, so it's pertinent. And, you know, like a lot of students, I didn't know what to do necessarily. So I kind of... With the, with yeah. the grammar school, do you think that was a really key turning point? Like, are there people in your childhood now who perhaps didn't take that fork in the road mm. and, I don't know, the outcome's different. So obviously it's competitive to get in and which, once you're in, in those days, uh, the mix was again, uh, you know, there wasn't that many Asians, there was only three ethnic uh, guys in my class, right? Wow. So out of 30, 33, so it's 10%. Um, and it was a kind of uh, very traditional school, a lot of Know, rugby and uh, kind of it was a boys' school, so a lot of scrapes and you, you you literally had to develop mental toughness, whether that was on the rugby field or dealing with you know in a kind of young male society. Yeah. There is obviously some uh, you've got to you've got to establish some position, some balance. So what were you there? What were you in the gang? Uh, I was one of those weird ones. I was a nerd and a rugby player. <laughs> so I, I was I was with the nerds, you know, doing science, playing bridge, <laughs> and, all right. that. and I was in the rugby team. What so, position were you in the rugby team? Uh, yeah, so I was um, kind of back row, back row in the scrum. So oh my eight, god, number eight wing forward, something like that. Oh my god, so, hang on. So the back row, that they're the really. Fat ones, though, aren't no, they? No, 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 that's a front row. All oh, right, that's front row. <laughs> but we wouldn't call them fat. We've got, they're, they're, they have a different physique, really, is what we'll say. But, um, the back row, are the, in, in a professional rugby, they're the back rows are really tall ones? No, they're the backs. The back row oh, right, okay. is in the scrum. So the positions, some people, you know, one wing forward, flanker, right, number eight. Trend, 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 I played trend, that. Trend. So I, was a, I finished my career as a, a rugby career, which kind of, kind of ended at university, was um, kind of as a flanker. And it ended because I got to university and suddenly playing with men and you barely you just turned eighteen and you're literally going for a tackle and you bounce off their shins. Oh no! <laughs> I think I'm going to switch to football. <laughs> so I played football after that. Um, actually, that's also another important point because through your youth, from my youth, like a lot of Bangladeshis, we either had you know I had my dad or my uncles or my cousins who were all in restaurant trade. So there's a there's a good. Kabzi's family's got yeah. restaurants on the lockdown in London. Really? Yeah, yeah. we should. We'll, we'll, we'll sort you out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like this like really high end restaurant. Really? Heston Blumenthal's designed the menu okay. and stuff. Wow. We'll take you. When it's, honestly, it's really good. Look forward to it. So I'm a foodie. I think everybody around here knows anyway where I work. But um, so dad had restaurants in Cornwall. So I actually mm. spent a lot of time in Devon and Cornwall in my youth, in some holidays, and then when I could work, <laughs> when I was old enough to work, summer holidays meant summer working in the restaurant, uh, you know, my cousins were there, my dad was there, beautiful place, really love it. It's like my second home in the UK in terms of a place I, I love and uh, like to visit. Um, and, but that restaurant trade thing gives you an entrepreneurial spirit and it teaches you really good customer focus, right? You know, you know you've, gotta, you've gotta be really up there with understanding customers, how to get that tip you know, you've got to make them laugh, you've got to deliver good service, you've got to be attentive, and you're working hard at the end of the night, you're 
tidying up, you're doing the till receipts, you're adding it all up. So all of that before you got to university, you know, working in a restaurant, doing well, I was doing my A-levels, I did it in Birmingham in some quite rough areas, uh, like Northfield back in the day. And then I did it in summer in lovely areas like Cornwall, by the beach, tourists. Uh, I guess easy pickings in some respects, right? <laughs> yeah. But all of this is developmental, right? You, you go to a school where you have to become mentally strong, you, get, you have to get good results, you, you develop interests. I always read a lot. That's another good learning. I think it's obviously, you know, a, a lot of today's youth are reading less. I really would encourage them to pick up a book, uh, pick up books. And once you get into reading, it's just a fantastic way of developing yourself, particularly at a young age. It marks you out. Yeah. You read a lot. Absolutely. Uh, and then, you know, I guess I've always managed to rise to the top in whatever class or field I've gone into. So at university, you know, I got the best dissertation of that year, and you know, I came like, second or third in my class. And uh, similarly, when I became chartered accountant, first time passes. So, I, like a lot of people, drifted out of, you know, I finished my degree. What do I do? Not sure. Let's just continue something that gives me options. So I did become a chartered accountant, which I really enjoyed, not because of the what I call the kind of ticky flicky elements what I call the, numer the pure numerical elements. But if you're an auditor uh, and you go into a company, you're meeting the CFO, you're meeting the CEO, you're really getting to understand business models. You're, you're kind of seeing when you, when you underpin a business, everything is ultimately reflected in numbers. Yeah? So if it's a manufacturer, what goes into manufacturing it? It all comes out in the stocks. How are they selling it? Well, the debtors, you know, what are they buying it from? The creditors, how they're managing it? You talk to the CEO, what's your strategy? What, you talk to the CFO, how are you controlling the business? All of that, I think, really helped build my business acumen. Um, but not necessarily my managerial style. If you're an auditor, you're going in, you're asking questions, you're learning, but until you start people managing, you don't build a managerial style. And I, I think I really cut my teeth managerially at uh, Charles Schwab, the Californian uh, online broker as well as, uh, you know, it's obviously multi-channel. And the Californian management culture, I, I think is actually, uh, it's really refreshing. You remember, we're talking about mid-90s UK, British business culture, a little bit staid, uh, kind of still a bit hierarchical, um, still a bit formal and suddenly you get California and it's you know we want you to rest on the weekend we we don't really care what you wear we care about the ideas you bring to the mm. table now it's a much more commonplace that's how fintech is and all the rest of it back then it, it wasn't the case right you suddenly you were wearing a suit at one place or you were something casual it was like you know this casual uh, kind of wardrobe that you used to have so it was like a third wardrobe but it was really refreshing because it truly felt like a meritocracy. Um, and actually when you saw the diversity back then in the 90s, you know, uh, that they had in their management, in their, uh, in their work co-workers, uh, it was great. And I, again, I just took on problems that people wouldn't take and fixed them uh, through people, uh, you know, raising people's aspirations, getting them to think, you know, getting to do things that they didn't feel they could do, you know, raising their potential, very satisfying. And I, to be honest, I was, I was very cocky, both at university, school, 
and in those early years as management, I, I really what thought I was the Alex Ferguson <laughs> of uh, finance, right? Because I li literally think, no problem's too great, I can fix it. Give me a staff problem, you know, I can manage them, I can get the potential out of them. Give me a stone and I'll get that, you know, I'll get blood out of <laughs> stone. Um, I was very, very confident uh, individual. And so, you know, I, I got a reputation as a problem solver, troubleshooter, but in finance, especially when the market kind of leveled off, that suddenly became right-sizing, restructuring, how do you cut mm. people? And there was a big yearning within me to start something, create something, build something. And I, because I had this interest in Islamic banking, from my university days, I'd read some you know, Islamic economics textbooks. The books you get now are much more practical, but then yeah. it was like, you know, the factors of production in Islam and different from the factors of production yeah. in you know, uh, conventional economics and all of that type of stuff. But, um, you know, there was an opportunity uh, and we got took over by Barclays. And I was doing some work for Barclays in banking, as it happened. So that's kind of my first exposure to banking. And finding out that things took a lot of time to achieve, a lot of governance, but governance extremists, right? Uh, to the point where you felt frustrated. Um, and then I was also pigeonholed into this, as I say, restructuring person. And then the opportunity came through some venture capitalists in Bahrain to join the management team of a startup. And I remember this is well before Silicon Roundabout, but we were in Old Street in London, wow. in a basement, building a bank with whiteboards. How big was the team? There was about six of us to begin with. And you know, I got the operations gig. You know, my mate, one yeah. of my friends got the finance gig, somebody else got marketing. Whatever. Who was leading at the time? A, a gentleman from Barclays, as it happened, an ex-Barclays right. guy, who, uh, Michael Hanlon, who had gone on to um, open a brand new bank in Eastern Europe. You know, Eastern Europe, remember the late 90s, Eastern Europe was opening up yeah, new banks, right, yeah. financial services, liberalization. And so he'd opened up a bank in Poland. Uh, I think it was an Austrian bank opening up in Poland. And so he was hired as a new bank, first high street bank in the UK for decades, right? High street bank, we, people think it's uh, Metro Bank, but actually we opened the first high street bank prior to Metro. And, and, uh, what, and what period, what time did, when you joined, had they already got the license? Or no, you, no, you, nothing. Um, all they'd done is they had a business plan, which had been submitted to the regulator, uh, which, is, which had been done by a big four firm. And we were just putting the team together. My job was to put the system and the processes and the procedures and the, the, the whole operations yeah. together. So I worked very closely with the, uh, with the head of IT. And when I say put it together, I mean, I literally did the chart of accounts. You know, you were how, what journal transactions move when you press this button on the system. Design the branch codes, the account codes. So anybody who's got uh, an Islamic Bank of Britain or Al Ryan account, the first three to six digits I'm responsible for, right? Because it means something. Those digits actually mean something. So, and the branch and the codes and all of that st stuff. So, uh, you know, setting up a clearing relationship with uh, Lloyd's, uh, you know, the first plastic, Islamic plastic debit card, and going into the design specifications with MasterCard. All of that, great experience. I mean, I, I literally drove a white van. We helped put the call center together. I used to put AV stuff together to do, you know, uh, a launch or whatever it was, you know, in a new city. And great fun, great, um, 
kind of knowledge gathering. And if you're intrinsically interested in learning, putting two things together. Okay, I've, so we had um, a brilliant, brilliant guy, Mansour Manon, uh, who'd come from Shamil Bank in uh, Bahrain. And he would teach us on a whiteboard Islamic finance. And then I go into the next room and say, how do I convert this conventional banking system into an Islamic banking product? And sometimes I would literally write, because I was still quite fresh out of uni, relatively in accounting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would write a, a formula that would be a page long that would convert, I'd say, a deep discounted loan program on a conventional system to a murabaha. And then I'd give that program, um, well, first of all, I'd say, let's predict what you want. And then I'd use my program in Excel and I'd get the answer. And then I'd then get into the manual convert it into the, the manual for the system, convert it into a formula for the system, give it to a programmer uh, and build it. So, you know, great, great fun, great learning, but it lasts forever in the sense that many years later when I was CEO and I'd be in a room in a committee and somebody would try to bring a proposal, but you knew the system, you built the system, you could ask questions. Yeah, and yeah, they, yeah, they'd yeah. know that I can't put the wool over this guy's eyes. You know, pulling the wool is not an option. And so, Sultan, in the early days, what was the what was the the whole the vision about setting Islamic Bank? So it was up? quite interesting, right? Because the 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 business plan we inherited, what we inherited was a business plan and a bunch of modules of different software and systems. And it was like, well, we bought it, put it together, even though actually there was a number of modules we never ever used. So it was just. Yeah. Why you bought them without doing it, the spec. But look, um, but the vision was, hey, we open a bank, put Islamic on the, the, on the front of a tin, and we'll have 350,000 customers within a couple of years. When I say a couple of years, within a year and a half, two years, something like that. Something ridiculously ambitious, written on, on assumptions like, there's three million Muslims at that time, or whatever it was, and we're going to get 10%. Something yeah. like that, something, yeah. something uh, just purely assumptive. And of course, human psychology and consumer psychology in particular doesn't work like that. Because just a few years back, um, BCCI had gone bust. Mm. A lot of Muslims, because it was ta targeting the Asian community, because obviously a large part of that is Muslim, a lot of them had got uh, stung in that, you know, got, you know, got hurt in that uh, bank going down. And so what happened is I set up the operations and the CEO asked me to go into sales. So an even tougher gig, right? Being the eternal optimist, I took the job, became head of sales, passed on some of my, some of my operational responsibilities. I kept, like, built the call center while I was doing the sales job. And then I hit the road. And that was time out of the office, but quite a chunk of time out of the office. So we'd say Traga, East London, right? Whitechapel meet all the influencers, right? Here's the product, this is the branch we're gonna open, hire the staff, all that good stuff. So it's set up again, but it's sales. And what we discovered very quickly um, was that it's just not enough to be an Islamic bank. And I think people, you know, subsequently who've opened up Islamic entities, Islamic finance entities have realized that. But consumer psychology is, it's, I've got to have other things. Yes, I want an Islamic bank account, but I want trust, I want efficiency, I want service, uh, you know, I want, I want some track record. Mm. And because it's your money, right, it's your hard-earned money that you're putting in as a deposit. And, 
you know, a few years later when I became commercial director in 2007, I joined the board. It was a, we listed in 2004, so I joined the board of a, a AIM-listed company. So I was in my early 30s and I'm, in, you know, I'm following the blue book and I'm learning about, uh, luckily I came from a stockbroking background, but, you know, um, you know, interesting rules that you have to abide by. It's much more heavily regulated than a, a private non-listed company uh, or bank. But anyway, what I did was, look, the fundamental assumption that by calling something Islamic and everybody walks through the door is not going to work. Yeah. What we need to do is get people to dip their toe in the water. And then maybe they'll put their foot in the water and maybe suddenly, you know, it's, hey, get my swimming trunks on and dive in. Yeah. But first of all, they're going to dip their toe in the water. Is it tepid? Is it warm? Is it cold? So what we did was, um, that I think the fundamental error in the strategy before was like, let's open current accounts and everybody's going to move all their salaried income and all their payments and all that stuff in to the bank. And which I, they didn't do. Which yeah. they didn't, right? And all they did open current accounts because they wanted the piece of plastic and say, hey, I'm more Muslim than you. I've got, a, I've got an Islamic Bank of Britain card debit card, it, yeah. right? But actually, I'm not going to move my money in. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, this is funky. It was a very funky card, by the way. So yeah. I wish I had a copy of it. It was a really cool card. But um, anyway, so what we did was say, why don't we just offer some attractive savings accounts? People are more likely to put some money in, they're not using it, it's yeah. not transactionally heavy, they're getting a return, and a lot of these people will be taking no interest or no yeah, return. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that really was, a, I guess, an eye-opening moment for everybody. I kind of intrinsically, intuitively felt it was the case, and it was the case. People started opening savings accounts. And if you look at most of the strategies today of the existing Islamic banks, it's generally savings accounts for their funding because savings uh, doesn't involve the heavy transactional functionality required. You can put your money in, you can earn a return, they can use it for their assets, mm. you know, their home purchase plans and commercial financing. So that lesson, I think, has been taken on by everybody. I think the other thing I did early on compared to the others, we hit the rate markets very early, before even a lot of the conventional competitors did. You know, we hit the savings, money-saving supermarket comparison yeah, tables yeah, 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 very yeah. early. There were a few other banks like, you know, Aldermore and whatever that doing the same, but we hit it very early. We built our own system to do it. We didn't go onto somebody else's platform, uh, which gave us control. And actually that also brought in a lot of deposits. Um, and of course, that was a failing as well at one level. So back in the late 2000s, we were deposit heavy but we didn't have any asset products. We didn't have HPP at that time, or we were only just considering it. We had personal finance. When the Lehman Brothers problem happened and kind of country crashed, yeah. um, what goes wrong first? Unsecured finance, right? Secondly, unfortunately, I think people felt, okay, it's the Islamic bank. It's the last people we need to pay. We'll have to pay for stuff over my, you know, for my roof over my head. I've got to pay the electricity bills, but... You know, you know, see that kind of unsecured loan of Islamic Bank of Britain, that's yeah. probably not, not the highest priority for them. And so we did have a fair few defaults in the unsecured, um, uh, kind of unsecured financing. And we had made a, um, the board uh, had made a, I think in hindsight an error, because prior to the crash, what's called the interbank markets, you know, where yep. banks give money to each other, it was really, really high rates. You could get six, seven percent on interbank. 
you know, just putting your money with, I don't know, Deutsche Bank's Islamic arm, you're getting six, seven percent. And so you're, you're getting, you're, you're paying relatively small amount on savings and you're making a huge spread. So the board took the decision, I wasn't on the board at that point, this is before I became commercial director. The board took the position and said, what is the point of launching home finance? Well, we can make 7% just by placing it. But of course, when Lehman Brothers happened, there was a credit crunch, the interbank markets became very constrained, froze. Mm. Suddenly we had all these deposits, couldn't put them anywhere with a return. Um, and instead of selling our own home finance, we, had, um, we sold a competitor's home finance as a, essentially like a broker, like an introducer. So the first thing I did again in this kind of pivotal moment in 2007 when I joined the board, when I became commercial director, essentially number two at the bank, was we're not going to sell that anymore. We're going to obviously gently extricate ourselves. We're going to build our own. So we built our own home finance product. And people, I guess to a degree, thought I was crazy because, hang on, you're going up against HSBC and Bank of Ireland, who had the Al Barak one. I see, I see. And you're going to just go from scratch and you're going to go in against them. And you, you, you know, you're asking about who were, the, who were the, the original guys with home finance. You know, there was UBK, United Bank of Kuwait, which subsequently became Ahli. They had a Murabaha-based product. I think they then finally did a kind of Musharaka or Ijara-based product. You had HSBC launching an Ijara-based product, eventually becoming Musharaka. And then you got uh, Al Barak, who who uh, did what's probably the closest to the most common model today, the diminishing Musharaka with, with leasing product. Academic question, why did those guys switch away from their yeah, so I guess so, behind Ijara? They're okay. I'd love to say is we, we entered the market and we, and we scared them. We definitely had a part to play. And it's, it's simply this, right? When, I, when you're part of a, a dedicated Islamic bank, not a window, my raison d'etre is to do Islamic products. Hmm. So I was launching variations on my product quite regularly, right? Okay, we've got the basic home finance, let's do a variable one, let's do a discounted one, let's do a fixed one, let's move into buy-to-let, let's hmm. do a discounted buy-to-let, a rent-only buy-to-let. We did the first ever buy-to-let product. And if you're sitting, from my experience at working at a big high street bank, if you're sitting there, and I feel, you know, actually a lot of empathy for my colleagues who worked in these other banks, they could see the need. I used to, we used to, it's very collaborative Islamic finance, you know, we sit on the same stage and we're talking. Yeah. They could see the need, but Sultan, you know what I have to do to get a product out? You know, I've got one, but you know, I go in with a pitch for another product saying, we could spend the money there or we could do this ISA and that ISA is gonna bring us five billion. And how much did you say your, your new HPP variation is gonna do? Well, maybe another 50 million. It's, it's hard to win the business case because it's not the raison d'etre of an entity. Yeah, yeah. So usually you find windows are set up defensively. Yeah. Sometimes you have somebody with foresight saying, look, there's potentially a new market for us. But they're usually defensive mechanism. I need to keep my customers who are Islamically minded and they might head off somewhere else. And that, if that's the reason behind your window, it's not really a vision, it's a defense. To grow it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now for us, it was, it was exciting times. We were developing HPP, we were hiring teams. And so, why did, so yeah. my question was more the structure. Yeah. So why did you guys decide to go for the diminishing musharaka rather than the murabaha or ijara? So structure? we took advice on that as, as, as the best structure. Remember, this is pre-regulation. 
So right, th these products right. were not regulated right, at that time. Yeah, yeah, wow. So uh, we felt that conceptually it was the best product and one that would resonate with consumers because you know it's we're sharing the home. It's easy to explain. Yeah. It's easy to explain, but it's also f much um, much more different from conventional, right? It's a loan and a charge, right? No, no. This is shared ownership. You're paying rent on the bit you don't own, yeah. right? Which is great because that's what the guys uh, feel that is conceptually different. And um, actually, I felt the team could really sell it really well. So that's kind of that's one of the reasons. Um, and I think fundamentally, the other parties uh, joined joined the fray uh, up until the point they they, they left the market. Um, and obviously, they left the market um, in kind of 2010s around that time. Um, and it's a shame, right? But we we took advantage of that kind of fertile uh, ground. You know, to build up a book. Yeah. But there were common issues still that people didn't understand. You know, common issues around. Your pricing, why is it more expensive? Why does it track the base rates? Uh, which I think. Why is it more expensive? So it's more expensive, not because the bank's making more money. So I think people have to understand that right from the outset. It's not expensive because I'm ch charging more relatively, it's because the cost of funds is higher. If you're a nationwide, you're getting millions of accounts. Loads of them at low interest rates or zero current accounts. And not only that, you use the regulations, the risk weighting regulations to get, uh, you can do a bespoke risk weight that you present to the regulator. So the standard risk weight, and we won't go into the technicalities of yeah. it all, but there's an amount of capital that you have to put aside to support your asset book. The standard risk weight for a small bank is 35% or a challenger bank, or, you know, it's 35%. Mm. Some of the big banks were paying as low as two to five percent. Wow! So for every pound of capital, the return on equity is you know it's like seven Magnified, times better, yeah. right? So they can charge a lower price. One, it's not expanding on equity. They've got scale. They've got systems that have been you know been there for ages. So it's it's hard to explain that to the consumer. Yeah, they've got cheaper cost of funds. So I've been on stages over the years, many stages, and explaining this, but. Ultimately, the consumer will say, I get that, Sultan, but I'm paying more. It's about my yeah. affordability. And I think that's, that's the trade-off somebody has to have in their own mind. Yeah. It's not the bank, the Islamic bank's not exploiting them. The Islamic bank has to make a spread to pay the salaries of the staff working there. And it's only, um, if you look at the Islamic banks, they only, it's taken quite a long time for them to get quite healthy, sustainable profits when you know they've been around long, they've got a healthy book. Um, really pleasing to see Al Ryan made you know sixteen million pound pre-tax profits. You know, great, great, uh, well, recently. great result. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Best great. ever result of an Islamic bank in the UK. And largely, you know, they've got uh, the the legacy uh, home finance book that's just giving them nice returns. Uh, notwithstanding they're doing other things and you know great on my old colleagues that they're doing that so I think you know there there's a lot of structural and um, what, what, so path dependent yeah. issues that lead to a higher price so I agreed with that what um, do you think so let's say NatWest today is I don't know four percent hmm. and let's say Virgin Money or someone like that is uh, older more I don't know if they mm -hmm. do them mm -hmm. is that like five five and a half yes um, 
Islamic banks are still at like correct, six correct. or seven, right? And, and that's because um, when you move into that area, um, so if you look at non-banks, so you've got non-banks and banks, so let's take yeah. the banks. Islamic banks don't attract the deposits at the same rate uh, as their conventional counterparts. So we did some, I kind of looked at this quite carefully. And so there was a conventional bank uh, in the same area, in the Birmingham area. And when they put up their rates, say, half a percent, the fund flow in relatively to the Islamic bank putting up their rates half a percent, was their, their, theirs was much greater. Mm. So the elasticity of demand is different. And that's because most Islamic banks and conventional banks clearly um, serve the population at large. So the deposits don't come in just from Muslims, right? They come in from everybody. But it's far more elastic, uh, you know, with the non, uh, well, I guess with the conventional banks in that if a rate goes up, they get more. And it's a bit more inelastic, you know, with uh, Islamic banks. So there's one. So what does that mean? Ultimately, you, to get the same pound for pound, you have to put the price up a bit higher, which means the cost of funding is a bit mm. higher. So Oldermore versus an Islamic bank, they're going to have to push the prices up a bit higher yeah. to get the same level of fund flow. And of course, um, also you've got to look at their ability to originate as well. How, how much market is there on the asset side? Um, and so with home purchase plans, interestingly, somebody who takes a home purchase plan as opposed to a mortgage sticks with their provider longer, you know, up to seven years. Whereas yeah. actually you get a lot of churn in the conventional market, you know, probably yeah. three to five years and you, you're off to the next yeah. provider. And A, there's a lot more providers to pick from. Sure. So yeah, there's a few structural issues still in the Islamic um, finance market for home finance. And clearly there's a lot of product gaps still despite yeah. all, the, all the good intentions of all the fintechs and really encouraging them. Many of the fintechs, when I meet them, some of the guys say, I open this child's, a children, young person's, I used to call it a young person's account at Islamic Bank of Britain. And I remember dad brought home this, this toy <laughs> that was a house, not a piggy bank. It yeah. wouldn't have been very... Um, Halal. Well, yeah, Muslim culturally sensitive. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Nothing against pigs, but it's like a house was easier. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> easier sell. So... Um, you know, people say you know that was their that was their introduction to Islamic finance, and when they yeah. passed went, went through university, they kind of developed their needs. We could do it better. We can reach consumers better. What do you think is the uh, way to fix this? Because I think part of this is like a positioning issue, isn't it? Uh, in terms of home finance. In terms of uh, with the fundamental issue that people would have with an Islamic bank. I think the fundamental issue is, is, is truly connectivity. Uh, people have to connect kind of heart and mind with a bank. It's not I'm compromising somewhere. My heart's with Islamic banking, but you know, I, the service isn't there or the trust isn't there or you know, something. Or my mind's there, oh, I'm making a return, and then you know, actually my heart's kind of more um, ambivalent. And so what's causing this? lack of connectivity with you know a growing population if you just add up all the customers of all the current islamic banks and if you look at their statements which say that you know nearly 50 percent of them are not muslim in any way it's a drop in the ocean yeah so what's causing this disconnect well first there has to be desire at both ends you know what's the model are you really yeah. going after the mass market is that what you want 
And I think that's just a choice for each individual bank yeah. and their shareholders. And we can talk about shareholders. About, do you yeah. care about the Muslim community? Yeah. Do, you, do you think that some Islamic, because I feel, uh, and yeah. I've never been in an Islamic yeah. bank, that some of them don't really, they like do no. lip service, but they don't really care. So, so what it is, is I think the philosophy is very much, it's a bank first. Mm. We're a bank in the UK first. Stiff up a little. And it's, it's, you know, I guess Islamic values whilst it's uh, you know, embodied in their constitution, but it's still a bank first and the Islamic value second. So I'm not saying mm. it's not important. I'm yeah. still saying it's, you know, it's, it's up there. But the fundamental authenticity that connects with a consumer, it's got to be that first. Yeah. And if you t- turned it around and said, actually, this is, the, this is the problem we have to solve. We want engagement of the Muslim uh, population in an ethical form of uh, finance and saving. Uh, And then you say, that's us first, that's what we want, that's our values. Then you say, is the bank the right way or is it an investment company or a a fund or or a finance house? Is that the best way to deliver something innovative that connects? But if you come at it from the the values, alignment of values, and that empathetic uh, approach of a consumer, that if you come through from that as your first point, I think yeah. you're going to connect. And then like, you, the you, point yeah. that it's a bank or an investment house is almost secondary. That's right? the second point. Yeah. But, but you're saying that actually that people started off thinking, there's a conventional bank, let's do an Islamic bank, and we're a bank first, yeah. and uh, and then we're, we're targeting this Muslim audience, and you know that we are Islamic, we're fully yeah. Islamic, but that's that's by the by. But instead, if, if you do, did it again from scratch, like I guess some of the Islamic fintechs, I guess people That's like right. us and others are doing, where you start with a problem first, and you're like, okay, this exactly. is the problem, this is the product, okay, now let's figure out how to deliver that exactly. product. And, and I think coming at it, if you like, with a reverse engineering from the problem to the solution, as opposed to saying, I want a bank. Um, because after I left uh, Al Rayyan Bank, I was approached by so many people. I mean, I, I just lost track about the amount of people who said, "I want to open a bank." And I would go down the five whys, right? You know the five whys. You ask why. Why do you want a bank? And then you go to the. You ultimately get to the fifth one. Oh, I want a bank because, you know, we, we you know we want to serve a population that they're not. You know, the Islamic banks today they don't serve enough of the population. Go, but but why do you want the bank? What? Why do you want to serve a population? What, 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 what do you want to give them? And if I couldn't get to the fourth why, I knew they weren't serious, or they didn't have a true idea of what's needed. And I, and I think you, to resonate with the audience, for somebody to really make that breakthrough at some point, where everybody says, actually, I do want an Islamic product, it's going to need something far more than a mechanism. It's not mechanistic. It's got to be... These are the values, these are the solutions that make a difference to your life. And over time, we'll get that, we'll get that, um, uh, that pricing down, but I can see the value add today. I think that's gonna really make a difference. And I think the second thing, which is a, a much bigger point, much bigger point, it's a systemic point. If you look at the current shareholder model that you know, it prevails in the UK, it's as much as you say it's a multi-stakeholder model, by and large, the shareholder is number one, okay? Yes, you've got some exceptions, right, in banking. The depositor has to be protected, but the shareholder is the key stakeholder. 
And so we've got we've seen a progression now to broader, uh, I guess, stakeholding through you know profits with purpose, and we've got to consider the environment, we've got to consider you know staff and suppliers and all of that, right? Which is great. But the I guess the supporting system is still very much shareholders because that's the articles, mm. that's the that's the voting mechanism, right? And if the shareholders so, aren't sat in the UK or care about the UK, uh, it's, it's, it's not so much that. Look, I've got I've got no issues with people, you know, working the system for what it was designed for. So if you're a shareholder and you want a profit goal, yeah. And you've got this entity. That's what you're doing, right? Sure. You know, you've got your own objectives. But my, um, I guess, my hypothesis is, if you want to protect those values, so you re re-engineered re your products, right? And you've got the products, and you've got some connectivity. That doesn't mean it's timeless. You know, it means you, in the moment, you've met that need. But ultimately. Let's look at the fintech model. It's round, you know, it's pre-series A, series A, series B, it's listing. Shareholders are gonna come into play uh, for a return, and it's the model that we're sure. in. Yeah. But how, and you have to ask yourself, how does that protect the values that you espouse and you connected with the audience with in the first place? And I would really encourage the founders of these fintechs to ponder deeply on that. And it might mean that actually somebody comes dangling a massive investment carrot and you say no because actually you, you're actually ch checking the values of that individual but more than that you're saying actually I'm not going to let one party become so big that it jeopardizes my values and, and, and the principles I set this up for and I think that's that's something that I think needs to happen yeah. some thought has to be given to that because like I say it could be tomorrow you, you, you did your due diligence on the shareholder you've got an alignment Tomorrow he sells out or somebody else takes over and they've got a different alignment. What yeah. does that mean for your business as a founder yeah. of a fintech? Yeah. And I think, you know, that's, I guess, in a, a while people have looked at it negatively, you know, this, the role of different share classes, et cetera, et cetera. If it's done for the right reasons, it's protecting yeah. values, not that it's done to uh, reduce uh, accountability and equality of shareholding, it's done for the right reasons. I think there should be mechanisms to protect that. Yeah, and, and, and Sultan, do you think if we are ever to truly deliver like full-on Islamic banking, 50% penetration in the Muslim community in the UK, hmm. it, it, is, it, is it just a brand thing? They, they need to be, they just need to have that trust. I, I think it, it's a, it's a fabulous question, but it would probably need a thesis to answer it properly because you have to look at all the factors from the supply side and the consumer psychology and demand side. Um, so, supply, the, what do you mean so, by supply side? So, supply side is obviously the availability of products and, and banks, oh, right, fine, and okay. um, the brand should only be if it's an authentic brand. The brand is telling you what the people are doing within the organisation. It's not just the marketing glib, the marketing logo and strap line yeah. it's actually actually links to the values of the people operating so, the heart of it yeah. yeah so you've got you've got to think about that but the the consumer side is what are the factors that create inertia so you've got to say people are not moving big and, bank accounts and sorry yeah. just sorry to interrupt and the reason why we care about the answer to this yeah. is because if we had 50 percent penetration of the muslim community 
we could probably get quite cheap mortgages. Absolutely, you could get. Not only could you get cheap mortgages, I think you would you'd you would have a truly significant industry. And yes, you get these economies of scale, but it would be able to take, if you like, the product set to the next level. Because if you're fifty percent of the Muslims, and that's I don't know, three million people or five million people over time, you've got a strong case when you go to the regulator, to the taxman, you know, HMRC, and say, look, we can't do this product in an Islamic way because it's not a level playing field, even though we want a level playing field, right? But now I've got a strong case for it. Yeah. And so you're going to open up the ecosystem dramatically. Yeah. Cool. So we uh, want it. Yeah, yeah. But I think, look, there's a, a number of obstacles. You know, I think uh, consumer inertia, education. Uh, you know, and I think IFG are doing a brilliant job on education. But you've got to find new ways to reach people. And I think actually you should be setting goals around. Please like and subscribe and share. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely right. <laughs> but you, you've got to be you've got to be setting goals around uh, what I call a long-term duration. Yeah. So I, you, you can't think in just years for this, you've got to think in, have I sown the seeds such that, you know, 50% of under 25 year olds really want this? Because time flies, right? You know, I can, like I was telling you, I, was, I can remember like yesterday when I was in my early 30s sitting on the board, right? Um, and you know, 20 years on, 18 years on, actually, if those, all those 25 year olds that I opened young person savings accounts had progressed to a mature, current account and the salaries were coming in and they're all professionals in the city and you know in, in high positions you know you've got to think long term and again the shareholder model unfortunately doesn't lend itself to long termism mm. I've got to make my ROE this year and if I don't that CEO's in pressure for next year because it's not it's not led by the purpose it's led by the profit and yes I'm not denying that there is some purpose but it's not the overriding goal, um, which can lead you to think, oh, let's think about a 20 year timescale. Let's think about a 10 year timescale. These people that are in a loss making account, student account, a young person's account, not making any money on this. But actually these are the professionals of the future. They're gonna be the, I've still got my account from school with uh, the High Street Bank. So even though I've moved a lot of my stuff to an Islamic bank, you know, I just kept it running. Same. Because you know, they were the ones who caught me when I was, you know, 14 and gave me a little debit card or whatever it was. And similarly, I think you've got to provide that um, progression. So when they hit 18, can you give them a student account? When they hit 21 and become a professional, are you there with a the first time mortgage and a savings yeah. pack and, a, you know, a really innovative savings package? And you're supporting them through their life and they'll be with you because it's sticky. So, so okay, that all makes sense. Um, what about people who say that Islamic mortgages are not really Islamic and they say that you peg it to the base rate or Sonia or something, uh, what's going on there? Uh, they say that uh, are, you, uh, are you reaching out and at some point there's this kind of interbank market thing going on and actually you guys are just pulling the money from conventional at some level and selling it to the mainstream. Mm -hmm. so let me write that down. So you've got... Uh, uh, it's um, pegged, yep. and then source of money, yeah. Um, and then you've got uh, people who say that it's just like debt because you're locked into buying it yep. to the end. Any others? Any other issues? Uh, let's just let's, let's just start, start with, with the start. Sure. There, there are probably other issues, <laughs> yeah. but 
Look, I think I, I want to come top down. Oh, you, you don't I, share risk? You yeah. don't share risk? Yeah. I, I want to come top down to this, right? Because um, people will come up with very, very specific issues. And ultimately, when I reflect on it, it's, it's a choice between an absolutist approach and a progression to a target approach. And what do I mean by that? So the absolutist approach is, you know, on the face of it, it has some of these flaws or perceived flaws. And we'll go into why they are or not in a minute. Um, and as a result, ah, I'm not going to bother. It's the same thing, etc. But I, I put it to the absolutist. If I have a NatWest mortgage uh, or a Alderbrook mortgage or whatever it is, you know, Aldermore mortgage, and it just says very clearly, very transparently, here's an interest-based loan and here's a charge. Now, other than for, from Zururia and the circumstances that apply, i.e. necessity, no scholar is going to say that that contract is Islamic, right? Mm. And even if you come from... There, that, are, there are some people yeah. who will say, but let's, let's yeah, assume no, that. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, no, but the actual terms of that contract. Yeah, some, yeah. some would actually yeah. say that that is Islamic. Okay. They're yeah. a minority, but let's not okay. worry about them. But then similarly, if I say, okay, let's take, let's, let's assume I come from the perspective, these Islamic products are flawed. But I've got a contract here with lots of, and, and most of them will not doubt the veracity and the uh, quality of the scholars. You know, some of these are vice chairman of Majma Fik Islami, and they've said, Look, I've got knowledge in uh, Fiqh Marmalat, and this is a legitimate Islamic contract. Right. And you'll have other scholars, like you say, who say, no, it isn't, it's all the same, and there's all these flaws. But even in that scenario, I've got one that's pretty much black and white, notwithstanding the Zururiya school and all that, right? And then you've got these people who are saying, okay, there are a lot of eminent scholars that approve it. So if from a, even from a peace of mind perspective, which one is going to give you... So let's call it on a spectrum a bit more peace of mind. At least Islamic one will. And then the second point is, if you're... And, and I actually think, and yeah, I don't want to yeah, cut you yeah, off, but yeah. like, I actually think that the anger and frustration that comes is because uh, someone is, has gone for, for this cheaper option. Yeah, yeah. And they, they feel That's the right. bite of the That's conscience. Right. Because it's, it becomes a price, it becomes, there's a cost of piety, as it were. Yeah. Right? And then, and then you're looking for reasons to negate the yeah, other so, products, yeah. right? Because I can get it for 3%, 4%. And so there's, there's that. And then the other point is, uh, and the way I always looked at it, and I get on with the people who criticize the products. Why yeah, is that? I, I, I get yeah. on with them very well. Because I say to them, look, it's just a difference in um, approach. Do I want uh, products that epitomize the ideals? I do. You do. Yeah. But my approach is I'm having to work within a system that is constructed against providing this. And so when you see some of the alternative uh, home finance products that are not uh, regulated for HPP because they're trying to do something different, the problem is, is they're operating in a system that doesn't give them the tax breaks, right? It's, and yeah. that doesn't mean it's wrong. It's just saying, what, what about if in an idealistic world, if I'm running a, a home finance company that's doing it this way, within the system, getting the tax breaks. Yeah. And I've got an ideal, to, I've still got the same ideal as yeah. you, but I'm gonna work progressively within yeah. the system. And that's the approach I took when I was at the bank. That's the approach I still take. 
you can either sit on the outside and say it's not right and try and reinvent a wheel and try and do something real breakthrough products and I admire them or you can say I'm working within the system I'm going to move it forward and the the legitimate criticism from these people and I, which I subscribe to is it's when somebody finds a compromise or rest a resting place and stops moving forward stops yeah. aiming for it's the ideal my question, yeah. yeah and I'm and, and I really think that's the problem because if you don't hire the people who have the same goal actually we do have share the goal of the Sharia scholars all the scholars will say the same thing let's make it better let's get it closer to the ideal working within the bank or working within the finance house but if you don't have a goal they suddenly hire somebody who's saying well it's you know it's it's just much easier it's more efficient to stay where we are what system just go for mass penetration now or whatever yeah. it is then then you you come to an impasse yeah. and the industry doesn't progress and that's, that's when the, you kill the goose that's that right. laid the golden that's egg that's right and so what does it what does it boil down to you got to have people who buy into that philosophy that we're still moving the ideal but of course if it's bank first and islam second i don't think they are it's not going to yeah. it's not going to happen i don't think but there's been any movement but yeah. if it's islamic first and bank or finance house or investment house second well then your goal is always to learn and improve and make yeah, it better and this is why i really get on with the people who criticize yeah. it as i respect their opinion i don't agree with their opinion because i've talked to scholars who will say otherwise yeah but i respect their opinion because ultimately we do have the same goal yeah makes complete yeah. sense <coughs> and i completely agree with this by the way when yeah. i i've been working on this very long article on yeah. islamic finance and yeah. where you know where we need to be going and i think it comes down to the same point which is that you know the frustration with islamic finance that people have is because we we're solving for a problem in this microcosm and this like very narrow view and and actually if we take a step back and there needs to be a vision often there isn't mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. in islamic finance institutions and you sketch that out and you say all right this is where we are and that's where we're going then people can kind of understand and there needs to be there needs to be that movement happening but at the moment i don't think there is a sketched out end vision often mm -hmm. i don't think there is a path and i don't think there's any movement that's so right. so people are upset and it's a, that's why i said it's a legitimate criticism of where the industry is today and you know people are you know i guess hoping that the new players will will shake it up um and i hope so too because yeah. even you, you know it's 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 an ecosystem so you, you know when somebody pushes the boundaries it creates the whole equilibrium to shift yeah and we do want that well yeah. i want that so yeah. yeah but i think what it is is what it boils down to sometimes is etiquette mm. it's the etiquette of pushing your own philosophy or criticizing somebody else's yeah and i prefer to you know if i've got a product i'll just push my product and the goal that we're going to and yeah. have some patience with us we're, we're we're talking to lawyers and we're talking to muftis and we're talking to yeah. <laughs> the regulators to try and push it forward yeah but we are where we are or i can sit on the outside and critique throw stones or actually do i just push my own yeah product and i think it's better th the etiquette is not to throw stones because the market's small enough throwing the stones causes uh what little confidence there is sometimes to dissipate to further it, yeah and i think this is where we do all work together and say yeah i respect your difference yeah and i think it's a maturity thing from a community standpoint and it i guess it reflects in other aspects of the muslim community sure do we have the maturity to learn how to disagree in mm. a mature way 
which doesn't actually, you know, causes this division. And, the sh and there is a methodology for that, right? And yeah. we, we, we don't adopt it. So Sultan, I take great pleasure yeah. in asking you these questions yeah. because they're the questions I always get asked. Yeah. So I didn't sidetrack them well enough, I know, clearly. I know, I know. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm like, you know, I always internally yeah. roll my eyes because yeah. it's like the thousandth time I've yeah. been asked it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but now I'm on the, as I'm on course, the asking end. Course, yeah. So um, pegging, one line answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is an easy one, that's an look, easy one. Pe pegging is easy, right? Because it, it, it's, it's, it's an index, it's a con the contract is not saying it's interest, the contract is saying it's profit or rent. Yeah. And all we're saying is, if a guy, as the famous example from a very famous scholar, is if you've got the beer shop next to the lemonade shop and the beer shop guy puts his price up 5% and the lemonade shop guy puts his price up 5%, does it make the lemonade haram? No. The answer is no. Bismillah, right. okay. okay. Done, Lem <laughs> lemonade. Okay, lemonade is the lemonade. answer there. Right. Source of money. Source of money, right? Um, you go to the halal butchers, does the butcher ask you where you got your money from? When you buy no. the halal meat? No. Because the contract for you is between him and buying the meat. The contract, but the person who earns the income in a halal or non-halal way is accountable to Allah yeah. for that income. And so at that level, I think it's, you don't have to uh, consider that to that degree. Having said that, Islamic banks should have a virtual circle, virtuous circle, yeah. where you know it's Islamic deposits. savings accounts, yeah. etc. But I think it shouldn't be at the cost of new entrants like mm. Strider being able to get funds from the wholesale market. Yeah. Um, as as long as you know, because if you look at the long term plans, it's clearly to develop something a bit more sustainable, right? Yeah. So. You know, that's yeah. kind of my view. Again, that's in the progressive view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I believe, uh, you know, the, the, the source of funding, providing it's Sharia compliant and uh, certified as such. Yeah. And yeah, I can yeah, take yeah. confidence in that, then that I, I'll sense. live with that. Because I, you, ultimately you have to, if, if you go down just saying track, every window is not working, you know, every exactly. window is pretty much out. Exactly. <laughs> and, and even in the savings accounts, yeah. like you tracking through where that money came from. Yeah, yeah. That could be anyone. But I mean, what, it's, it's like saying to somebody, who, I don't know, is working at, uh, you know, uh, Santander today, and, he, and you go to the butcher shop and he wants to buy some halal meat. Oh, sorry, mate, you work at Santander, your income's from River, yeah. can't sell you, right? It doesn't work like that. It <laughs> doesn't work like yeah. that. And in fact, uh, from a 50 perspective, yeah, it doesn't work And, like and yeah. you're excluding that person, even from yeah. psychologically, you're trying to bring them in to the sure. fold, right? Okay, so uh, fit, fit response there. Yeah. Debt, it's all debt because you're locked into buying it from the start. Yeah, well, if you look at the contracts, they're very, very flexible. We just mentioned earlier that the typical Islamic uh, HPP contract might be five to seven years. So what does that mean? The reality versus the contract are quite different, right? People yeah. typically will move on after seven years, max, as an average. Yeah. That's average. That's from the stats. You can get the stats. If you look at the Tolkien Sukuk that we did mm. in the day, you'll see the stats. So actually, how are, are you tied in? to the end point. And secondly, what's the, what's the motivation of the person? Finance is a derived need. People don't say, I want finance. They say, I want a home, I want a car, right? I want to buy a home, I want to own wholly a home. If that was their near at the beginning, and it's essentially a payment plan, yeah. because of a diminishing musharaka, I just don't think it's got quite the same characteristics that debt, because debt for debt's sake is like, you know, different. I've got a real derived 
uh, a real demand and the finance is a derived demand. Yeah. And is it treated differently? I'm interested. Is it treated differently when you package it up, securitize it? You know, are there? Uh, yeah, there are, there are, there are distinctions um, because the ownership stuff. So you've got to set up, tr it gets a bit complicated, and um, but you, you have to set up uh, trusts that enshrine the bit that the bank owns, which is the bit the bank's essentially securitizing versus the bit that the customer owns, yeah. packaging it that way. Um, but ultimately, securitization is about income against the asset, hmm. right? And uh, if you're providing securitization, if say a product, uh, a, one of the components doesn't fit anymore, I don't know, it went from, I don't know, it became a student buy to let or something, you can take it out and replace it. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're interested in the income stream against the credit risk. And to the question about debt, um, what it's, the, it, it's, it's kind of a nature of a risk and it is a credit risk. Okay. So because you are looking at the ability to kind of make payments, whether that's the individual sure. or not. So you've got to assess the credit risk and also the value of the asset. Um, so d don't get me wrong, I don't think it's, uh, somebody says to me it's pure equity, I don't think it is because why would I sit there doing a credit assessment? But even the alternative players don't use diminishing with Sharika, yeah. they do a credit assessment because ultimately they have, and I would argue, a bigger amana, a bigger uh, custodian, custodial view to their funders or their depositors, right? I got, you know, that's, that's my, my bigger obligation. Mm. I've got to protect, you're, you're investing with me, let's call it investment because that's the kind of true nature of it, albeit yeah. you might have savings protection. Sure. I've got to protect that investment. I've got to protect the characteristics of that investment, the returns, I'm going to do a credit assessment. Yeah, and my personal view is that having, uh, you know, uh, rift about this HPP stuff with a, you know, with a fixed income fund mm. that we've been working on, and with Stride Up and, and others, you know, that we've yeah. invested in. Offer. Yeah, <laughs> offer. Yeah. Um, we, we've personally invested in Way Home as well. Yeah. Uh, we like, you know, what the guys at Primary Finance, so we've talked to everyone and explored this area. And my, uh, my instinct is that the HPP product itself, if you really care about this as an issue, there are ways to, you know, mm -hmm. uh, navigate that, given that this is the tax efficient way to do it, regulated tax efficient way to do it. There's stuff like, let's say, Stride Up said where, you know, you don't need to buy the whole house, That's for right. example, right. and you can own an equity stake in it. Or if you, if you really want to do interesting stuff, uh, you could even explore side letters, right? Yes. If, yeah. if, a, if a customer of the yeah. bank yeah. wants, or if the customer of this product really wants that, and I think 99% will not because it just complicates things. I mean, that flexibility that you're talking about is even enshrined in what I call the more um, kind of standard products from the banks because they can quickly switch if you run into trouble in your payments, they can quickly switch under forbearance to rent only. So you can, the fact that they can do that, yes, means that actually, theoretically at least, theoretically, you could yeah. be on rent only for a long time. Yeah, yeah. So it's the same um, characteristics are in, enshrined in the product that say a stride up were making more explicit. So clearly a bank wants to have wants to manage its asset and liability mismatch, it's all, all of those sort of things. And again, it goes back to that phase, they're a bank first. They, they have to do a lot of uh, financial management. 
that requires yeah. them to put in some of these uh, some of these characteristics. Whereas a, a stride up as a finance house or a way home or yeah. a primary, uh, you know, or an offer. Sorry, fire that now. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. They they can they can structure it slightly differently. Yeah. Because they're managing their balance sheet slightly differently. And I think on this point, it's really a case of how much in the round are you looking at this entire structure and back and forth over 25 years yeah. and how much are you focusing on an, on a very narrow specific right. thing because if you see it in the round i think this issue just dissolves right. into nothing and actually it becomes an obstacle for uh, the progress of the industry because everybody's so focused on you know the the marquee product the yeah. home finance that it probably has led to less emphasis and efforts on other asset products i think there's been great developments i think on the uh, what we bankers would say, the liability side, the investment side, you know. Yeah. But there, there, there just seems to be, uh, you know, there needs to be more focus on uh, finance products. And that's so why... So much I, more. But yeah, and so, you know, that's why we're trying to do, uh, at offer, we're trying to do regulated bridge yeah. in an Islamic way. And yeah, yeah I mean, there's, uh, your mind sometimes gets twisted with some of the conundrums of legal and yeah. tax and whatever. But that's what we're trying to do, is to fill, fill a gap. No one's doing regulated bridge. Yeah. What that means is, can I buy that next house without selling this house, right? Yeah. So that I can, without doing a buy to let, I've just got some time to buy my house. I don't lose the house that I want yeah. um, because I'm living in there. Yes, you can get unregulated bridge, which is investment products, right? You know, yeah. You're not living there. And so that's what we're trying to do at Offer. And I think, you know, you're seeing, you know, with the likes of uh, the other, some of the other providers, a few more asset products, but it's predominantly real estate. And yeah, yeah. self-admittedly, we are as well. But... I mean, we there's been talk about, we've talked about car finance for years, right? Business finance, and no one's trade really finance. Done it. Trade finance, business finance. Business finance is harder. Again, the structural issues, we can talk, about, talk, yeah. talk to about it another, talk, talk to <laughs> another day um, in a, in a, from a banking context. With the five people who are still with us at yeah. this point. Yeah, yeah. but, uh, you know, I think uh, it's, it's the broad point. Yeah. We, we definitely need more product innovation. Uh, I'm glad to see that some of it's happening, but we need more. Yeah, makes sense. And then final one, risk. Um, mm. Banks don't share the, same, the, the risk of, uh, or Islamic mortgage providers are not sharing the risk. They don't uh, buy, you know, they're not taking, like they don't pay for the insurance, let's say, or if, I don't know, if an alien lands on the house. So, so partly it's the, I guess the power dynamic, right? Big bank, little customer. If, if you can defray some of your risk onto another party, yeah. the kind of capitalists, self-interested, uh, and I'm not criticizing the bank, that's the system we're in, Yeah, sure. is saying, well, actually, why wouldn't I mitigate the risk? Mitigate the risk. Yeah. If people say to me, they're taking no risk, absolutely not, because you know, what is zero credit risk? It means giving zero money. Hmm. They are taking a risk. They will, they can lose money. Banks have lost money for different reasons. We've seen three banks go under in America. Yeah. Okay, that was for asset and liability management, but ultimately, Yeah. You know, they bought the wrong assets. Sure. <laughs> so, you know, if there was a market risk or a credit risk. Yeah. You bought the wrong assets. You matched it against the wrong liabilities. So they, yeah. banks do take risk. And they are sharing that credit risk with you uh, as, as, a, as a client. So there's, there's no doubt in my mind that there's risk sharing. I think the question is, is in that con concept of equity, mm. is there equitable risk sharing? Yeah. And because the bank sees it and it's treated by regulators and tax authorities, yeah. 
as a debt instrument, and therefore the customer gets the tax benefits as yeah, well as yeah. the bank, they have to build in certain characteristics of debt yeah. in terms of risk sharing, i.e. mitigating the, the loss of that, uh, financing sure. from the bank's perspective. So look, I'm, I'm just trying to give a descriptive uh, analysis of why it happens. Yeah. Uh, it's, but it's not in the same plain layman's way of, yeah, shake hands and we yeah. share because the risk. There's a spectrum, isn't there, That's of right. risk sharing. Yes. And let's say the Islamic bank is here at level yeah. three. Yeah. And let's say someone else is at level five yes. or six. Now, they can legitimately claim that we're, sharing, we're taking more risk. Um, but I think that it, as long as you're saying that there is some risk sharing happening, yeah. it is all Islamic, right? Uh, well, it's all Islamic if it's enshrined within the contract, right? Yeah. I mean, but I, I think in that scenario, again, I think there's a reality check. What I found, I, I've traveled the world, uh, alhamdulillah, I've been very fortunate. But if you go to the US, there's far more financial education, whether it's mm. investments, people have to manage their own pensions within a 401k. Yeah. But they understand that one fundamental principle. If there's higher risk, there has to be higher reward. Yeah. You, you guys are investment yeah, guys, yeah, right? Yeah. There has to be. So again, if somebody's willing to do more risk sharing with you, and you know, like some of these alternative models, I'm happy to do that, let's shake your hands, it's 50-50, whatever it is. Yeah. You can't expect to pay the same rate yeah. as something that is being funded by safest houses uh, deposits, yeah. right? And I think that's the, the, that's the kind of educational gap. Sure. It's not an educational gap on just the products themselves, yeah. but understanding how the world of finance works. Yeah. And, uh, and then I, I'm conscious of the time. Yeah, I actually yeah. don't know how long. Yeah, been, that's right. But, and I know you probably... <laughs> it's tea time. No, yeah. no, I'm fasting. Yeah. I can go on. <laughs> Two more questions and yeah. then we'll wrap up. Uh, one is, where do you think the future for shared ownership models is? And I'll, I'll give you my, like, my hot take mm. and I'll get, I want to see your perspective and then, uh, and then perhaps some thoughts on the nature of money itself. I think mm. it would be personally mm. quite interested in it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so on shared ownership models, at the moment, I th my understanding is that they're cheaper than a lot of uh, or the available Islamic mortgages mm -hmm. because of the way that the rates are at the moment. Um, and in order for them to, uh, I think, really truly scale, they need to get through regulatory changes mm -hmm. that allow them to, uh, you know, get rid of, let's say, the double stamp duty issue and other taxation issues. Um, yeah, and I, and I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Well, I'd encourage them to. Um you know, m make progress with, uh, you know, the advocacy of that model. Um, I think it will boil down to a regulator or a, a HMRC, a taxman's take on that perennial question of, is it more debt or is it more equity, which will govern some of those taxation issues. And um, because that's the environment you're in. So it'd be nice if you s sat down and you had a white, piece of paper and you'd probably design something much closer to that ideal. And it's only when you add the elements of the other elements of the system, regulation and tax and legal issues that some of the, uh, I, I, I guess the, um, the additionalities occur that, that cause, cause, cause these debates and differences. But I, I would really um, be supportive of more of these uh, this model kind of developing. Um, at one level you say it's cheaper, but that's only because I haven't seen it in a scaled up way, because in a scaled up way, 
even these models require funding Mm. And they have to go to the market unless they can find a way of getting it through investments or savings or forget a banking license. Yeah. And then it's, they're going to end up, pay, you know, charging, unfortunately, higher amounts. Because the market is the market. If Islamic banking was 50%, we can move a needle in the market. Yeah. If we're less than 1%, it, doesn't, it just, just doesn't change the equilibrium of the pricing. Yeah. Uh, so you take an economics viewpoint. We can't, we can't, we can't impact that equilibrium. That the pricing is pricing in the market. So, so to boil, dumb it down for investors mm. or for people, uh, the, let's say shared ownership is at let's say five percent today. Yeah. Slight mortgage is at seven. 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 Yeah. yeah. And you're saying that. Uh, so if they're getting, if they're offering out a five, they need to be giving their investors something less than that yeah. to make a profit. Yeah. Let's say it's I don't know two and a half percent, because they you know they're keeping yeah. a spread. No, but it's obviously the internal rate of return model with those because um, where they have some upside on the equity transfer, mm. they can, um, I'm thinking more, I guess, more like way home and maybe to a degree a bit of stride up. Yeah. Um, there, is, there is the ability to There's give their investors a bit yeah, more. Sure. There is a bit. To, so, um, but then you've got to look at it from a consumer angle. It's not no, that ultim ultimately, are they going to pay more with this, this way or that way? Yeah. And What's I think gen that? generally they'll, they'll pay less with a, uh, a finance structured closer to debt in reality because yeah. debt is cheaper. Unfortunately, that's just... And I think I've, I read a nice article in, um, I think it was the FT about, well, the whole system tax, the design of tax encourages debt, right? Yeah. Versus equity. And if, if you can if you can switch that around a bit, yeah, it could just really redefine the whole financial services landscape. That would be massive. Yeah. yeah, I think that's yeah definitely something to campaign on. The uh, so uh, and what but what about if the rates just re remain quite high for the next decade? This I think that could be quite an appealing place for. Well, them yeah, too. absolutely. I mean, look, um, if you look at the if you like the original housing association shared ownership. Yeah, where you can like get into a home with a small deposit and then um, you're just paying, you know, some of its debt, some of its pure rent, pure rent, you know, no, no and some of its pure debt. Um, it, it's, it's a way of getting on the ladder and a way of uh, maybe keeping prices low in high rate environments. So I think there is a question for it, but can they keep it at 5% if you scale up? I mean, it's my, my big question mark, because it requires somebody to take Something less. less than inflation, right? Somebody yeah. somewhere in the system has to take less. Yeah. So it might be an investor saying, I, I want to support the goals of this organization. Yeah. I'm happy to take two and a half, just cover my yeah. zakat. Yeah. But that's what we call uh, social investing or impact investing, yeah. right? You're not, you're not purely going for, for the profit, but that becomes less sustainable as well. Exactly, you have when you go to size. Okay, final question, uh, um, Sultan. Nature of money. Uh, where does money come from? Uh, you know, just this argument that uh, the way that this money creation happens today, a lot of it comes through private banks yeah. uh, and the issuance of debt. What's your take on all this? And what's, I don't know, the ideal Islamic view in your view? Right, look, I think there's a couple of ways to look at the nature of money. And you know, you've, got the, you've got the people who say, like, you know, let's, we should be dinar-based, are you gold-based? Um, because there's a finite supply of gold. Sure. Right? You've got to go and dig it, you've got to mine it, a bit like you've got to go mine yeah. it. And so that is a supply constraint on money which governs the level to which inflation can rise if you, if you've, if you study supply-side economics. 
But in reality, how is money created? You know, the, the majority of money in this day and age is created because of credit terms. Now, whether there's interest or not, if as soon as you give somebody credit, they have, then have the ability to spend something else somewhere else, and you kind of have a creation of, let's call it spending power, if it's not physical notes, yeah. but it's money bank by money. another name. Yeah. It's a money by another name. It might not, be, it might not even be a bank. If, if you give me credit, hmm. right, and I can then, so I've, I've saved some cash flow, right, and then the person who, you know, the money that you didn't use, and I can just go and use it, the money that I didn't use in another, you know, with him over there, and, yeah. I, and, I, and then suddenly I'm just yeah. creating. So I, so when I give you credit, yeah. I've got this thing which like Sultan owes me something. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you that can I use, that. use that. Yeah, and you're thinking, when, well, your deposit, remember as well, yeah. somebody might have given you that money. So, but, but my question is, Sultan, I think yeah. banks, yeah. Have have a very different position to me yeah. as a as a, someone who gives credit. Yeah. Because banks are the the ledger of record. Yes. And so when when they issue that credit, yes, they can actually do stuff with it. Like I can't actually really take that IOU in the same way. Really. Because obviously they're only holding um, so much of a deposits. The rest of it can go out as yeah. credit. Yeah. Yeah. And you know I think that's that's why we you will be reluctant to say, all right, you know, um, Khizr gave you 100 pounds, I'm gonna keep only 10 of it and give out 90. If you, just on the basis that the law of averages is only gonna come back yeah. for 10 at any time. Yeah. And therefore you're creating credit and you can use the rest for credit. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's, the, the bank is gonna be doing it as a model, <laughs> as a business model, right? So the creation of credit creates profit, creates shareholder return. Um, and cr the creation of credit in itself, is it a bad thing? I mean, it's a kind of, more, you know, it's a question. Is it a bad thing? Yeah. Does it enable uh, economic growth? Does it enable people to, uh, you know, spend in the economy? And I think this is a you know, kind of philosophical is, question. Yeah. You know, do, is, it, is that, should you only spend what you own or can yeah. you do it on that? And this, and I think maybe sometimes in consumerist society we go too far, yeah. for sure, because it's not responsible financial education. I mean, that's, that's the key. But the nature of money is a big question in itself. Sure. Um, What's your hot take on that? Well, I think money is just constantly evolving. And you know, we know now that electronic money has overtaken physical money. Mm. Uh, physical money in some countries is down as low as 20%. Yeah. How do you even, this ledger of record that you're talking about, it just, I just have nightmares of somebody could just go into some system and just add a few zeros and that's Delete it, right? It, yeah. yeah, that's it, game it's, over. It's just there. Deleting it was just adding zeros in the system. Um, and it's, how, do you, how do you tackle that? I think if, if there's a, the risk is that at some point you get this massive inflation, you get uh, a lack of confidence in electronic money. And if that happens, then people will go back to physical, mm. physical kind of, whether it's dollars or yeah. Or, or gold, and I think that's where the regulators have to really control, uh, you know, the risk of fraud, the risk of manufacturing it, you know, the risk yeah. of, you know, I think it's all about confidence, mm. and that's unfortunately let's let's recognise for what for what it is. Fiat money is basically a whole system based on confidence, military power, yeah. sovereign it's, it's, confidence, it's, it's confidence, uh, and that's the world we live in. Um, and I think there is, I think there is some. Uh, merit in the argument that we should anchor it 
to something, mm. re- you know, something a bit more solid than confidence. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm a kind of uh, slightly eclectic on it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not. A, I'm never. A, I'm not a hardcore. Let's barter and use dirhams and yeah. dinars. At the same time, I think we have to look at the risks of electronic money and crypto, and and, and the way it's going. But yeah. is it the future? I suspect it is. We're just going to have to evolve our knowledge of it, our controls of it. Agreed. Yeah, I think my personal view is I, I, I'm not fully settled on it, to be honest, yeah. but my instinct is not gold because I think you just, mm. you know, you're trying to solve the problem of inflation, tick. All you've done is put the hands, you know, the, the power in the hands yeah. of the Ghanaian miners yeah. for some reason, and that's somehow better <laughs> exactly. than the bank of, possibly it is actually, but, but anyway. <laughs> so that's, I don't think that, but then I think that, uh, I think leaving it as fiat has its own issues yes. that we've seen. I think it's like setting real parameters around who can actually create that credit and where that where can that credit be used because that's the thing. It's, re- it's really interesting. I don't know if it's, if you've seen it creeping into the news again. L- you know, so when I was young, everybody would you, literally you turn on the nine o'clock news and it'll be and the M one uh, measure of money versus the M three measure of money. Oh, really? and the Money supply has increased. To, you know, five percent this month. You don't hear that anymore, right? No. But that's what it was. That was the news. You know, that no, was what the news was. It just simplified, but it's creeping back into the, the literature again. Should we control the money supply? Yeah. I think it's a futile task. You've got to find some way of anchoring it in, yeah. in reality. So I, I kind of agree with you there. Yeah. Well, we'll find out, I guess, in 5, 10, 15 years' yeah. time. Yeah. Sultan, it's been a pleasure. I know I've, I've grilled but you. It's been a compendium of economics <laughs> and... Uh, and Islamic finance. Yeah. So, uh, I think I've like I've lost like ninety nine percent of the audience. Yeah, I think, but I'm yeah. happy. So yeah. that's the key thing. This is this is like a kind of news night BBC two <laughs> kind of chat. It's, it's, you know, it's not like what, what do you what, what brand do you wear for your jogging pants? No, no, thing, definitely, which not. <laughs> definitely not. Yeah, plus he's fasting. I know. Plus he's fasting as well. you know, anything to spend. You know, pass the time, right? I know. That's it. That's it. Exactly. All right. Take care. Assalamualaikum. All right. Assalamualaikum, everyone. Thank you.